and uh, like we're having an extended cup of coffee. Do you have your coffee there? <laughs> or actual tea at this type of night? <laughs> right. Now, what has gone? Okay. So let's um, start this and... Okay, so... And welcome to another show of Lily High on Life. And we have a really special guest today, all the way from California. We've got Julie Hartman. Julie, welcome to Lily High on Life. Lily, I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. Well, me too. And let me just tell the audience that you're 23 years old and you have your dream job and a job that in today's atmosphere where everybody's afraid to, that they're not being politically correct and they're afraid to say anything or comment on anything, you get to say whatever is on your mind all the time. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing and how you got this amazing job. It is indeed true, Lily, that I am doing my dream job, and it is not lost on me how lucky I am. So for those who don't know, I am a uh, broadcast host here in Los Angeles for the Salem Media Group, which is a conservative, uh, actually primarily radio company, though I do both radio and podcasting for them. I do a show of my own called Timeless with Julie Hartman, which is half news, half non-political, which we can talk about why I divide it that way. So I do that show, Timeless. I also do a show with Dennis Prager called Dennis and Julie. And then I guest host for the uh, nationally syndicated uh, talk radio hosts here in the United States that work for Salem. So Larry Elder, Mike Gallagher, Hugh Hewitt, Charlie Kirk. And it is, again, it's not lost on me how lucky I am to do this. So to answer your question, how I got into it, well, I was actually liberal for most of my life. Growing up in L.A. and attending very liberal schools, I was really only exposed to one perspective. And that changed when I was a sophomore in college. Actually, uh, during the summer of 2020, I was sent home uh, due to the COVID lockdowns. And that was the summer here in the United States of the Black Lives Matter riots, which convulsed around the entire country and destroyed cities, including my own. And I just looked around at my country, Lily, and I couldn't recognize it. And I thought, you know, if this is the left, this is not who I am. So I went on the Internet. I Googled, what do conservatives think about police? I encountered a site called PragerU. I watched all of their five-minute videos, literally all of them in one night. And I realized, my gosh, I'm a conservative. So to make a long story short, I reached out to Dennis Prager. I know. I reached out to Dennis Prager, who, of course, founded PragerU. And um, I, I had read all of his books, too. Once I discovered him, I ordered all of his books, and he just, he really changed my life. And I, I emailed him to thank him. Miraculously, he responded to me. He invited me, because we both live in Los Angeles, to sit in and, and watch an hour of his radio show. When I was there in studio, he invited me on air. 
And from there, we developed a very close personal and now professional relationship. So talk about a dream. I went from admiring this guy you know, who changed my life, and now I'm a co-host with him. And what I love about that is that just by reaching out, just by doing what felt right to you, look at everything that unfolded. Oh, yes. I, I have so many people, uh, young people telling me that they emailed people who they admire or professors or people who they want to, you know, uh, people who work at companies that they want to work at because of my story. So if there's one lesson to glean from this, it's reach out. The worst thing that can happen is they don't respond to your email, but indeed the best thing that can happen is, is you know, Absolutely. My life. So and that's I'm one of the, lucky. yes, and that's one of the big things that I hope comes out of Lily High on Life, that people <clears throat> get to hear personal stories and decide, well, maybe that's something I could do in my life as well. So, and also the other aspect of this is that when you're free to talk, when you're free to, to get things off your mind, when you're free to unload about things that are worrying you, you're not just mental health, but physical health thrives. So in doing, oh, yeah. yes, in doing what you're doing, um, you must be the happiest, healthiest girl around. I, I really am. And, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up because, yes, my job is political. I'm a conservative talk show host. But one of the things that Finding Dennis and PragerU has taught me or has given me is happiness and fulfillment in other parts of my life. For those who haven't watched PragerU videos, there are videos about art and music and architecture. They do a book club and they have this, this kind of, um, again, non-political uh, segment of their, of their uh, enterprise that has really influenced me and that I intend to bring to my listeners. And this is what I love so much about your program, Lily. It's about life. Yes. Sometimes we get so caught up in the political day to day. We live in a very political time. And I actually think that's one of the, the bad parts of our world now. And I think it contributes to so many of our problems that we are just political creatures. We need to be able to relate to each other and have hobbies and interests irrespective of our political beliefs. Absolutely. So kudos to you for doing this show. Well, thank you. And the other one, the really smart thing, I actually knew Dennis when I lived in LA, not that it was very well, but a little bit, and was and actually attended some uh, many, many of his lectures and some of the early stages of PragerU. And putting it into five to ten minute bite-sized segments was such sheer brilliance because many people, especially your age, don't have the um, the don't have, don't can't sit down for longer than five or ten minutes um, and have their attention grabbed. So it's just brilliant. It is yes, and it's amazing how much you can impart in just five minutes. I mean, every five minute video has revolutionized my thinking on a subject. Just five minutes. It's yep. really unbelievable. And and so anybody can try it without it being arduous or, or you don't have to sit and listen to a whole lecture because they really are brilliant. And um, so uh, it sounds wonderful that 
PragerU managed to turn you conservative, but how did that work actually in real life? Because you, as many um, Democrats, surround themselves only with Democrats. Yes, well, the part of the story that I left out <laughs> is arguably the most important part of the story, and that is that first time that I went to Dennis's radio program when he graciously invited me to observe his radio show, and then he invited me on. Uh, a video of that appearance went on YouTube, and I didn't realize, you know, I thought I was just doing radio. I didn't realize they were filming me. And so when it went on YouTube, it circulated around my college, and a lot of my peers saw that I went on Dennis's program, and I got canceled. I had a lot of people give me a hard time. I had people text me saying how disappointed they were in me. I had people on fall. I mean, again, we were, we were in lockdown, so I wasn't on campus. But from afar, a lot right. of people gave me a hard time. I lost, I lost friends over that appearance, and it was so painful. For two weeks, Lily, I am not exaggerating, I could barely eat barely sleep. I lost 20 pounds because I thought my life was ruined. I thought, oh my gosh, people are going to Google me. No one's ever going to hire me. No one's ever going to be my friend. No one's going to marry me. <laughs> you know, I just, I really, I went down a rabbit hole and then I realized this is the best thing to ever happen to me. It's made me realize who my real friends are and it's made me into a, a stronger person. And so, yes. so to bring it back to what you were saying, you know, Democrats only really surround themselves with Democrats. I, I mean this in, in a, not a self-aggrandizing way, but um, I think that I have opened some perspectives of people at Harvard. You know, a lot of people did cancel me, but I have to say a lot of people stood by me and a lot of people uh, were very generous in trying to understand where I was coming from. Wow. And I actually have a lot of liberal friends to, to this day who totally disagree with me on politics, but who know my character and who have remained friends. So there's both uh, hope and some disappointment in that story. Disappointment that I lost friends, but hope and that I maintained and even gained some too. And thank God, because you want to believe that there really are normal people around who can disagree with you, but they're still normal. It's the ones that cancel you right. completely. And in those first couple of days, were people engaging with you or just attacking you? Well, again, it was a little hard because it was it was during the lockdowns, but I had a friend who went on a walk with me, and that is to his credit that he you know wanted to talk with me, but he, this was a friend um, who is gay, and he was very, very upset that I, not, really not with anything that I said on Dennis's show, but that I was going on, uh, I was aligning myself with Dennis, who, who opposed the legalization of gay marriage here in this country. And so it, it's, it's to his credit that he, you know, talked it through with me, but I did find in that conversation that he just was not seeing where I was coming from. So it was a mix. It was a mix. I mean, certainly the people on the internet who unfollowed me and who would send me sending mean messages were not engaging in dialogue, but some people did, a lot of people did try to. And Julie, and as you said, it was during the time of COVID, you weren't even actually on a campus and this happened. What was going on when you're attending college? You're not even there, you're doing it. Um, through the internet, 
could you just talk a little bit and explain how that whole going to college on the internet thing worked and within that, because I've always wondered how did that woke culture, which says men are women and, and, you know, children have to watch transvestites before they even know what they are and how did that all happen? Because it came out of the colleges. Yes. Well, to, to answer your question about what it was like during, you know, being online, I mean, it was, it was really hard. And now that I look back, I realize, you know, when you're in it, you, you kind of can't psychologically process what is happening to you. I, we, we all had to sort of, I make this point a lot on my show with Dennis, that we all had to sort of psychologically trick ourselves into thinking these draconian lockdowns were worth it that they were saving lives and that it was worth missing a year and a half of college. Lily, I was sent home halfway uh, between in the middle of my sophomore year, and I didn't return back to campus until I was a senior. I only got a full freshman year and a full senior year at Harvard. That's it. Wow. So it was, it was difficult. It was very isolating. But as far as the woke stuff, you know, it really, it really is just kind of amazing you're right that it has sort of come out of these universities. I have to say I'm not the best person to talk about it because I really tried to take courses in college with per- courses with professors who I knew did not succumb to that crap. But Julie, was but, it was it the, um, was it out of the courses you were taking, or were you also additionally in chat rooms, or what was the communication? that was happening at the time that even allowed this stuff to take hold because they were pulling down statues. They were angry at everyone. Mm. Well, that was sort of existing, I mean, sort of within, but also really outside of the university. That was just sort of in American society writ large. Of course, a lot of bad ideas originate and fester and, and grow in universities, but the pulling down statues and all of that that didn't really happen at my college, but that was happening, you know, on, on, on the streets of, of Los Angeles and, and other places. I mean, I think and, that has a, a lot to do with social. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. But, but I, I, you know, when people are gathered in groups and crowds and at different places and they talk and they meet, you understand that. However, at a time where everybody is isolating at home and these things are coming up, What's the, was there any communication process that you could see or did it just come up on notice boards or did you actually have to step into a group chat or was it actually in a course and in the classroom that these ideas were um, coming up and being given life? Well, I wasn't any in any group chats or anything where where people were talking about this, but that's also because I don't I didn't really attract people in my life who harbored those ideas. Right. But in the classroom, I mean, again, I really just took courses. I was very careful with my selection. The courses that I took were not as really woke as other people's courses. But if you look at the, you know, the course sheet for my college and any other college, there is some crazy stuff on there. So I'm sure in those classrooms, those ideas are talked about. But again, the courses I took, I really tried to stay away from that. Right. And so once you started coming into this new life 
and this new and you could see that this was really going to enhance your life rather than kill it um did you try to talk to your uh, liberal friends about it or you just did your own thing and they kept up with podcasts and stuff or were there people that really wanted to talk to you and cure you of this delusion or you know, I had, I had some people who wanted to, as you say, cure me of the delusion. But I had a lot of people who talked it through with me and I think came around to maybe, if not agreeing with my perspective, at least understanding its legitimacy. And so I have to say, I'm really blessed. I have a great group of friends who support me. They don't listen to everything that I do. And by the way, I like I like it that way. Yep. I sort of like having a separation between work and and you know my personal life but um i have i have some liberal friends who do listen to me and and they're very sweet even when they disagree so and and i just want to say also that there were a lot of people at my college sort of on the periphery who i knew but i didn't know well who would reach out to me and by the way to this day continue to reach out to me and say you know julie I don't agree with you on everything, but I think what you're doing is really brave and you have exposed me to other perspectives and I commend you. And, you know, that's all I can really wow. ask for. I'm very grateful for Absolutely. that. So the, the, you know, I, th- I think Harvard gets a bad rap and sometimes deservedly so, but I also want to really give people the other side of the story, which should give us all a lot of hope that there are a lot of people who are more rational and reasonable than we may think. Oh, thank God. I talk a lot about the silent majority <laughs> and the fact they are a majority, but they're not they're not out there screaming, yelling, giving being given television times, but there are so many more of them. And um and I think most of them are especially now conservatives because they can see what the Democrats are doing. I mean, it's just you know, when you're being told black is white and white is black um, it drives me crazy, but you're you're starting your life, you're starting your career. You've you've just barely come out of academia. You're supposed to believe what you're told by teachers and and professors. How do you believe? I mean, obviously you started googling because you didn't believe, but on a in a place like Harvard, how on earth could they ban? free speech where conservatives can't talk right yes no it's very sad i mean i talk a lot on my on my show with dennis and on my own show timeless you know growing up here in america i really trusted the institutions not just the educational institutions but i trusted the government i trusted the fbi you know i I trust the cia and it's in in every sense, it's been a real fall from grace to see mm. all of these institutions have succumbed to the wokeness, and they've succumbed to really using, you know, really kind of um, becoming uh, weapons against conservatives. And so, it's very sad to have distrust in the institutions that you once trusted. But I'm glad at least that I see it yeah. because I yeah. shudder to think about the people who are still brainwashed, and there are many. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I um, I back living with my mother, who's just turned ninety, and um, her favorite things on television wow. are the documentaries. She was born in Poland, grew up in Russia, 
and she was a child in the war who was uh, who ran from Poland to Russia and experienced just some of the most horrendous things, even as a three, four-year-old child, let alone when she was growing up in Russia and she was um, taunted and bullied for being Jewish. But you were stuck in Russia. You couldn't get out there. Anyway, she loves watching the documentaries because she lived through them. And um, she she just says, I don't understand, I never understood how they got away with all of this stuff. And now that I'm living through what's happening today and I'm watching the documentaries, it gives me more of an understanding of history. And that's something that everybody should familiarise themselves with a lot more because history does, in fact, repeat itself. So, Yes, it certainly does. And, and also, what I really try to embody in my own life and what I try to, to talk about a lot myself is that you have to tell the truth in small ways in order to tell it in big ways. You know, I think we in the United States, and I'm sure this is true in Australia, it's becoming true everywhere in the world. We, we, we become so accustomed to the avalanche of lies that confront us every day that we don't realize how destructive one lie is because one mm. lie builds on another lie that builds on another and culminates in catastrophe. So, you know, a lot of people here in the United States, I hear when we talk about, you know, I talk a lot about this transgender craze, which is insane insane totally i have witnessed many people all all of a sudden become transgender i mean it's it's really just unbelievable and you know i'll talk to people about this and, and the response that i'll get overwhelmingly is well what's the harm what's the harm if someone wants to identify as a man or identify as a woman and the thing that i say is again uh, the unraveling of the truth and unraveling of distinctions, when it happens on a big level, it's because it started at a small level and it avalanched. Yes. And I don't think people in the United States understand that because we have been so privileged, Lily. One of the, one yes. of the worst things to ever happen to the United States is that it became so good, that we had such unprecedented prosperity and equality, because that means our population has gotten spoiled and complacent, and we don't stand up to, to lies on a small scale because we haven't seen how destructive they are on a big yes, scale. Yes, and but we're polite. We'll see soon. Yes, we're brought up to be polite. So, of course, you've got nothing against yeah. a transgender person, but when it gets to the stage that they're right. subjecting small children to it, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. uh, it's... It was a little bit of a joke, but it wasn't really... Um, well, let me just start by saying I have no problem with anybody's personal choices about their sexual activity, about their um, the what they think they're allowed, whether transgender or gay or any of the alphabet letters. God bless you, but don't force it onto others. And once you right. identify as an American or as an Australian and you can rally behind being one big group of that, then be whatever else you want within that. And nobody's going to get in right. your way. But it's the radicalization that is what brings people's 
homophobia or political, not political correctness out because you get to a point where you just feel you're being forced to accept something that is not what you agree with right in front of you. Right. I'm very glad that you made that point because, again, I don't I don't have a problem with people's personal preferences either as long as they don't force it upon others. And, and you know, I, I mean, I have, I have friends who, who are transgender and I believe that some of them are legitimately transgender. In other words, they were, they were born really yes. from the start of their life not feeling like they, they were born into the right body. I think that there is a small, small, small segment of the population that is truly transgender, but it has turned into a social contagion here in the United States. Yes. And it's it's this weird proselytizing, too. There's this effort to go and make people transgender. It's one thing to to confer tolerance upon people. Everyone, everyone deserves tolerance. That's part of that's part of what makes living in a democratic society possible. You have to be tolerant of other people. But tolerance is very different from outright endorsement and encouragement and proselytizing. And what we're seeing in American schools when you put you know, drag queens in front of four-year-olds and you're telling four-year-old girls that they are tomboyed and they may not be a tomboy, they may be a boy. That is a creepy attempt to convert people and that is what is so destructive yep. and harmful. In the Absolutely, adulthood. totally. Look, I have gay friends here in Australia as well as in America who um, were against gay marriage. They were being gay. They had partners. They wanted to join together but they understood that calling it marriage was actually an affront and an insult to Christians and really it doesn't matter what you call it but they pushed through the gay marriage thing which is fine Um, but now that they've done that it's like when you're gay you actually do have full equality in society but all of these organisations were being funded to help gay rights and they didn't want the funding to stop. And so they changed the agenda to transgender people and the rest of the alphabet and it was all about the money. And once you've got that money, then what are you going to do with it? You're going to demand equal rights and equal rights is teaching it in schools and and putting it everywhere. And I, I, I believe that was one of the pathways to where we are now as well. So. Well, I, you know, I didn't have really a problem with, with um, the legalization of gay marriage here in the United States. However, I do not hate and those people who oppose it. I don't think that everyone who opposes it is a bigot. And that's what I, that's what I really dislike about American culture. American culture views people who oppose gay marriage or who oppose a woman's right to have an abortion as inherently bigoted. They don't see that those people can have arguments outside of bigotry that inform their perspective. What I say to people about gay marriage is imagine if you are starting a society from scratch, okay? And you have to, you, you know, you're, you're giving the right to marriage. How do you keep that within reasonable boundaries? You have to you have to establish some boundaries within the realm of marriage. And I think one of the things that the United States has always done is say that marriage is an institution primarily designed to protect children. 
So the union is going to be based on a man and a woman, the two, you know, necessary ingredients, if you will, to produce children. And once you sort of take away, once you sort of expand the definition of marriage to not be the, the biological, you know, union of, of two people who can have children, then you do get into territory of, well, anything goes. And I think that slippery slope argument, you know, even if you don't agree with it, I think you have to acknowledge that it's that it's legitimate. But these, you know, these issues are very complicated. But yes, even the sorry, slippery no, but even the slippery slope argument is fine if you contain it to your own personal and private life. And you'll find other people who agree with you, and you can go off and do whatever you like as long as you don't hurt anyone physically or right. bully them. God bless you. But it's going beyond right. that. It's needing that approval from the whole of society that's a problem. Now, you were, right. you're extremely articulate and you've obviously got a brilliant mind and, and so your future is really limitless. So I love the, the name of your podcast oh, as well. Thank you. Um, and I noticed that um, in some of the notes that we exchanged that you were heavily involved in all types of sports as you were growing up. Yes. And that's... that's yes, uh, I was. Yes. Tell me a little bit about the character building and the team building and everything and how you feel that um, that affected your life going forward. Well, it affected me hugely in both ways that are positive and negative, but I think I've turned the negative into a positive. I'll, allow me to explain. So from the time that I was five... And I love that, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I love that, by the way, that you turn turning negatives into positives is one of my favorite things. But go ahead. Sorry. Yes. Yes. It, no. No. Not at all. It's, it's the necessary thing to do in life. So I, since I was really young, I was in full time, extremely competitive sports. I was a swimmer and a soccer player at the same time. On the weekends, I would play soccer, and then I get in the car, throw on my swimsuit, and go to a swim meet. And uh, then, then later in my um, sports career, uh, I, starting around the age of 12, I actually stopped playing soccer and then did swimming and water polo. So all throughout my life, I was playing sports. And, you know, this was the age, this was the pre-woke age in America. I mean, of course, things were sort of woke, but compared to now, it, it was the pre-woke age. Everything's so relative. I had coaches that were... <laughs> right. Everything right, is relative, Everything is, yeah. Yes. So I had, I had coaches that would say things and make us do things that today would never fly. I had coaches that would scream at me, you know, in the pool or from the sidelines, would call me names, would throw a clipboard, you know, on, on the field in anger. I mean, stuff like that would, ne I mean, with all these snowflakes, my God, this stuff <laughs> would never fly today. You know, we would have to, and swimming, they would make us put on clothes like, like sweatshirts and dive into the water and swim so that wow. you can have the resistance of wearing a sweatshirt. Again, it's hard to imagine some of these things would fly. And by the way, I'm not complaining. I think I'm actually, I'm really grateful that I had that because any boss or any mean person in my life, I'm like, please, compared <laughs> to the coaches I had, you are, you are easy. Um, but, you know, one of the, the downsides of it was, um, 
and this is the thing I think I have turned into a, a positive is, you know, I think for a lot of my life, I was really accomplishment oriented. And one of the great things about sports is, is that, you know, you, you have to work hard and you have to win and, and succeed. But I think sometimes, especially in the competitive sports environments that I were, was in, it, it wasn't so much about recreation as it was about winning. And when you grow up being told the most important thing is to win, 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 that's, uh, you know, that's not a great message. Of course, mm. you know, I, I think it's good to want to succeed, but I think I sort of internalized that and became a, a way, way, way overachiever. Mm. And I realized sort of in my, I love it. I just said sort of in my 20s. I'm still in my 20s. <laughs> I, met, I met like when I was 20 years old. Um, I, I realized around the age of 20 that, you know, again, I, I'm self-conscious of how I'm sounding here, but, but please I don't thought, be you know, getting into Harvard. And, Julie, oh, I've, I've got to tell well, you, it's not, a, it's not often I'm even able to have a conversation like this with somebody in their early 20s because there are so many things they don't even understand or know. So you'll get rid of that, well, I'm aware of how I'm sounding about this. And it really doesn't matter how you, you're going to sound different to every different person anyway. So just don't even worry about it. Just say it. No, well, thank you. Right. Well, I, I mean, I feel so comfortable with you <laughs> in this conversation. I, I, I some, you know, sometimes I'm forgetting that we're on radio, but, um, you know, that's a good, well, it's a kind of a great conversation. But, uh, I, I, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I look, when I was 20, I sort of looked back at my life and I realized, you know, I had gotten into Harvard and I had won a lot of awards and medals through my sports and again I, i'm only saying i'm aware of how i'm sounding because i don't want to come off as a self you know congratulatory prick mm -hmm. but the point is i sort of looked back and realized that i had accumulated these accomplishments and it didn't make me as happy as i thought that they would make me and i sort of had to examine myself and go is this accomplishment oriented way of looking at the world really going to lead to the most fulfilling life and so in that, that was sort of my way of turning a negative, if you will, the, the, the lesson that was inculcated in me that the most important thing to do is win. Uh, I feel like I've sort of turned that into a new perspective on my life where, of course, I'm ambitious. Of course, I want to succeed. But I, I have realized and learned that that is not the most important thing. And succeeding and accumulating accomplishments does not always lead to a happy life. Mm. Absolutely. Really, really smart. Because it, in a sense, it does, but it's not the most important thing, which I believe personally right. are relationships with people. That really is yes. where the yes, real joy comes from. And do you mind talking a little bit about your family and family life as you were growing up? Because you, um, well, first of all, if uh, you've got two older sisters, one of whom is autistic, and you grew up in that household with your parents, who obviously did an amazing job, what were those relationships like? And 
have they all indeed survived this transition to conservatism? <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I am just so blessed. I have a, an incredible family, and that really is due to my loving parents who have a very strong relationship and who have given their lives towards, you know, making sure that we are happy and healthy. So I'm, I'm very lucky and they have been so supportive with my uh, transformation, if you will, to conservatism. In fact, I actually think I've influenced them. Uh, we, we sort of, we were just apolitical growing up, you know, I mean, they raised us with conservative values, but they weren't, they weren't, we didn't overtly identify them as conservative values. They were just sort of traditional family values. So um, when I became conservative and I guess I identified or put a label on those values, my, my parents understood it. And I think I've made them more conservative <laughs> thanks to how much I've embraced it and how much I talk about it publicly. But um, yes, so I have, I have two older sisters. One is married. She lives in New York City with her husband. And then the second oldest is 31 and she has very severe autism. And no, I had a very happy childhood, again, thanks to my parents. You that was had... a real dark mm -hmm. cloud. Well, Sorry. rather than so that, not being in person. Yeah, I, I imagine that what it gave you were additional responsibilities that other kids may not have had. Yes, I, I mean, certainly that is true. I, I think also, you know, really, it wasn't so much my sister Gina's disability that, that caused us problems. It was her care. So she lived in government-run group homes because it was just unsafe for her to live at our house because she she became violent and you know she, she has very severe autism. Anyone who's listening who has a has a relative or, or child who has autism knows what I'm talking about. With among the most severe, they they can get very violent. So it was because I was so much younger, it just wasn't safe for her to live in in our house, mm -hmm. um, and she needed professional care. But unfortunately, these government-run group homes that she's gotten into. Um, have not provided professional care. In fact, many of the caretakers have been negligent and abusive, and my parents have dedicated their entire lives towards fighting the system legally and trying to get my sister better care. And thank God, within the past two years, they've gotten her into a better situation. Yeah, um, thank God. But, but to go back to what it... Thank God, I know, thank God, uh, for, all, for her and for all of us. But what it taught... In addition to, to making me take on... Um, uh, additional responsibilities, it also taught me about the tragic nature of life. The life is not fair. The life is going to throw you curveballs. And that there are just, I mean, I saw how much my parents suffered trying to, to get her better care and how much Gina suffered. And that's given me a, pers I'm certainly not grateful that my family has gone through this, but I'm grateful for what it's taught me because I have a perspective on life that a lot of people who haven't had a hardship don't have. Isn't that so interesting, Lily, about yeah. hardship, that it is so heartbreaking and terrible, but it can really oddly benefit you? Well, the insights that you get into areas that you wouldn't normally even get to see is so valuable for what comes after. And, um, and that's yeah. the really huge lesson in it all. And, and that you can do something. You don't have to just sit around and accept what's given. And your, is your right. oldest sister like you in terms of 
being outspoken and articulate and strong? Well, she has her own wonderful qualities, but I'm not sure that there, she is as outspoken as I am. Okay. <laughs> She's, um, she, yes, I, I have no problem sort of being in front of an audience and sharing my opinions, and she's a lot more subdued and sort of keeps her opinions to herself. And, you know, there. I mean, I she's a wonderful person, and yeah. I'm really lucky to have I'm, her. But um, we don't always see eye to eye politically, but we are... Uh, have remained close, and I'm I'm really lucky because a lot of families have been torn apart by politics. Luckily, not mine, though. Yes, absolutely. And with your parents, um, I believe they also may hold different views, but obviously extremely supportive of who who you are and what you're doing. But do you remember anything as you were growing up um, in terms of how you were raised and? and things that your parents allowed rather than did that made you as confident as what you are? Hmm. Confident in my beliefs or, or confident in sort of my... Confident in, in, sharing, in sharing your beliefs because I believe that you also became almost an only child when you were eight. Both your sisters left home, so there was just you and your parents. Did that, uh, do you think that the skill sets that you were suddenly not using perhaps might have given you that confidence as well or was it really... What was your, let me put it in an easier way to answer, uh, sorry. What, um, how did your parents treat you as you were growing up in in what you were doing and saying and the choices you were making? My parents, to their great credit, always treated me like an adult. I mean, of course, within boundaries, you know, when I was, yes. a, when I was five years old, they weren't talking to me about inappropriate things or things like taxes, you know, adult, some areas of life, of course, they didn't talk to me about, but, but they, you know, when I would ask them questions about the world or about life or about uh, history, they wouldn't, they wouldn't shy away from telling me. And I think that has, that has really shaped me in, into who I am. Um, and, and they also were, were really just so great about talking with me about, um, about my sister and, and sort of using that as a as a way to teach me again about about life. Um, and one of the things that they always reminded me of is, you know, you are so lucky to have the abilities that you have. Um, of course, the cognitive abilities that my sister doesn't have, but also, you know, my sister can never get married. My sister can't, you know, be independent. She can't go to a grocery store alone. You know, she really requires day to day help. And so, I think my parents. Um, you know, always sort of reminded me of, of how lucky I was, but they also didn't, um, they also really viewed it as important to not make my whole life about autism, to, to right. shield me, to, you know, to, to make sure I, I understood the gravity of it and to take appropriate lessons from it, but they also really wanted to shield me from some of the harder parts. And they also, they, it's so interesting, they said to me growing up, they said, you can be anything, you know, we will support you with whatever profession you do. But maybe, you know, they just said we, we would sort of prefer if you don't go into anything related to autism. Because I think they understood that that was so much of my whole life. Right. And so 
anyway, they just had such a balanced, great approach to parenting, always um, spoke to me and treated me as a mature adult, expected me to behave in ways that are in accordance with being a mature adult. So, And made a very conscious decision to have, to have you and have another child after they had this experience yes. with this autistic child, which is an interesting conversation to have with them at some time. But it's, it, it just shows that they do have great understanding, intelligence and a zest for life because they wanted another child. Yes. I was uh, born from a surrogate mother. That is uh, just to the audience what Lily is, is referring to. Um, and so, you know, there's such a big age difference between me and, and my two older sisters that people go, huh, you must have been an accident. And I say to them, no, I am actually unbelievably planned. <laughs> I, I was born from a surrogate. And, you know, my mom said that, that after she had her, her second child, she said, I just, I knew I, 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 there was something missing in my life. And she just said, I knew, I just told God, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I want to have another baby. And I feel like there's some other, there's another child in my life that's waiting to come into my life. But she, my mother was unable to carry um, after she had my sister. So through the miracle of surrogacy, I am here. How um, absolutely it's, wonderful. It's really amazing. Yeah, it says a lot of good things about your mother. Amazing, amazing things, not yeah. just about her perception, but her spirituality. And, and look what she got. <laughs> I hope I've done them proud. <laughs> I have absolutely. I, I always try to honour them. And <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that at all. Yeah, no doubt about that at at all. Um, without actually naming them or saying who they are, if you don't want to, you're welcome to. Tell me about your two closest friends in terms of what oh, kind what of people, what kind of people they are and what's kept your relationship so bonded. You know, I've never been asked that question, and I think it's a really great question, Lily. I may borrow that from you. Please. I'm actually going, I actually am going to borrow that from you. <laughs> I'm going to ask everyone that, that comes onto my show. I think that is such a good question. You know, they say you are the, the amalgam of your five closest friends. Yes. Well, I'm not going to name them by name because um, I've always made an effort to keep yes. my the identities concealed of close people in my life when I'm talking on air, just, just because course. I signed up for this public life, but they may not have. So I'm not going to share yep. their names, but, um, one of my closest friends is, a uh, a male friend and he, he's my only male friend, <laughs> other just female friends. Um, and he has just had a, um, unbelievable life, uh, really, really tragic in a lot of ways. He has lost, he lost both of his parents. His parents were immigrants, um, from a, in central Asian country. And, um, they came to the United States and his mother died of cancer when uh, he was in high school. His father died of COVID when he was, um, in college and he raises his 10 year old sister. Wow. He is just the most remarkable person I've ever known. He is, astoundingly mature and um never how long have you known him sorry i I have how long have you known him no 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 
I've known him for, I guess, four years now. We met in college. Wow. And he he will never complain. I, you know, I asked him recently, I said, do you, do you hate the world? Do you ever think, why, why did this happen to me? Mm. And he goes, no, Julie, I am so lucky. I'm so lucky to have the opportunities I have. I'm so lucky to have the friends that I have. He is just... He is one of those rare people in life. So that that is one of my closest friends. And you know what, Lily? Whenever I'm down on myself, I look at the I look at my friends and I feel better about yeah, myself because if course. I attract people like them, I'm doing something right. Yep. So that's that's the first one. The second one, interestingly, is also not from the United States. And uh, I met her in college, and she is very spunky. She's very uh, just sort of unique in her personality and her style of dress, in her interests. She's very intellectual, loves to read. Um, she is so much fun. I could talk to her all day, and and, um, and I think that what what unites all of us is just we really take joy in one another. And I think we're authentic people. We don't care about being cool. We don't care about being popular. We like just having a good time with one another and learning from each other and, and taking each other's relationship at face value. There's a lot of people my age, especially in the environments that I've been in that care about being popular. I have never been that person. I've never attracted friends like that. Mm. That's very important because it really is the center core of a lot of the issues that kids have in, well, I was going to say high school, but also even primary school learning to really care about who about you and what you think instead of other people is one of the greatest lessons of life you can have and you live it well thank you yes it's it's true i had great role models in my life who've taught me that yes my parents and dennis and and others Yes. And um, for those of you who are not familiar with Dennis Prager, just Google Prager, P-R-A-G-E-R, and the letter U, and you will be absolutely delighted. Um, I've got a few more questions, but we are running out of time. So I really want to thank you for your openness, your honesty, your views. I mean, they've been so refreshing and wonderful. And um, I know you can see what you're doing now, doing that for the rest of your life. But the truth is, at 23, I'm excited to hear about all the other things you're going to find to achieve and accomplish as well. Oh, Lily, well, thank you so much for having me on. This has been so much fun. Again, it's a sign of a good conversation when I forget that I'm on the air. (laughs) So one day that may get me in trouble. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, what did I say? I'm I'm just kidding. No, of course, keep enjoying it. Yes, you you make me feel so comfortable, and I just, I I love your program. I, I think the premise of it is so unique and important, and thank you for your graciousness, and thank you to the audience for listening. Yes. Please check out my show, Timeless, and Dennis and Julie. Google Timeless and Google Timeless Podcast and Julie Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N. Julie, much, much success. I look forward to meeting you in person sometime and uh, talking to you again. Me too, Lily. Thank you. Thanks. And we are...